it through your head that a program is made of words. Get through your head that a program is just words. Variables are any plain lowercase word. Variables are any plain lowercase word. It's the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach. Today, Jeff Cohen and Brian Eng of Lucky Monk Software and the Softies on Rails blog. They wanted you to know that they're going to be teaching a Rails workshop for .NET developers in Chicago this fall. If you're a .NET developer, want to learn Rails, and want to learn from some Developers are both skilled in .NET and Rails. Go to softiesonrails.com. Tell them that you're interested. Briefly, upgrade to Rails 1.1.6. If you have not yet, go to weblog.rubyonrails.com for the details on that and patches for older versions of Rails. Jeremy Voris, formerly of Planet Argon, wanted you to know that he is teaching a Rails workshop in Portland, Oregon. September 1st and 2nd, go to jvoris.com for the details, j-v-o-o-r-h-i-s.com. And I will be traveling the world again, going to Sydney, Australia, teaching November 11th and 12th, a basic introduction to Ruby on Rails workshop, and November 18th, advanced Rails development, deployment, and automation. If you are in Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, wherever, Come on down, we're trying to keep it affordable so people can travel from wherever and learn about basics of Rails. Details there at www.workshop.com.au. That's www.workshop.com.au. Finally, several people have written in and asked for more step-by-step tutorials on the podcast. Well, podcast isn't a really good medium for that, but a screencast is, so... I've launched a screencast site, peepcode.com. It starts out with an RJS tutorial that's 15 minutes long, covers the basics of RJS, goes through a project, also talks about testing, and that's available for $9. The response so far has been very positive. Going to cover other topics in the future as well, hopefully about once a month, things like test-driven development, Capistrano deployment, REST application design and other topics. A portion of the profits from that will fund expenses related to this podcast and all will also go toward the Rails documentation project. So check it out, peepcode.com. So this is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach here in the suburbs of Chicago. I'm here with two gentlemen who write the Softies on Rails blog, and their names are... I'm Jeff Cohen. And I'm Brian Eng. By day, Microsoft.net programmers. By night, doing a little Rails programming, blogging, and starting a new software company on the side as well. So let's start out. You... Work uh, during the day. I don't know if you want to say who you work for, but you work with .NET during the day and Rails at night. Why? Uh, why Rails? What appealed to you about it? Uh, well, for me, it's it's really about uh, 
doing having a chance to spend time doing what I enjoy and uh, for me I, you know I, I equally enjoy both the graphic design web design aspects of things and and uh, the programming aspects so uh, I think you you might have mentioned this uh, on another podcast but it's, it's really uh, you know instead of uh, spending a couple of weeks working on a database abstraction layer uh, I yep. get to kind of put that aside because I get that for free with rails and and uh, get a chance to maybe hone my CSS skills or uh, you know my Photoshop skills and do do things that I maybe don't do so well and uh, have a little bit more time to work on that. Mm-hmm. So you get to think about the the issues and the ideas and not the the guts underneath. Right. Well, it's pretty much uh, making sure my page looks right in IE. But uh, <laughs> most, most of my time now. But uh, but no, it's it's really uh, it's really having the opportunity to just free up my time and 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 do what I what I really enjoy doing. I want you to ask you if you like that more than writing the database abstraction layer. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? What do you like about why why did you decide to spend your evenings free time writing Rails? Yeah, I was really not a web developer before I okay. started learning Rails. My background is in C and C sharp client development for Windows. When I first started to get exposed to Rails, I was intrigued at how easily I could start to make websites, even though I was not uh, some guru ASP.NET developer. I had tried ASP, I tried ASP.NET, and I kind of liked it, but I felt like I wasn't getting as far as I do with my client-side development. And with Rails, the language itself pulled me in right away, the Ruby language as opposed to C-sharp, because it, well, like Brian was saying, it lets me really focus on the problem that I'm solving and less on worrying about how to wrestle with the, uh, the architecture that I'm supposed to be using. So uh, for me, it was really the language that, that kept me uh, going with Rails. I'm going to dive right in here, ask a controversial question. For me, you know, a lot of, I look a lot of the core Rails team is on Macs. They're always talking about using TextMate and buying a new MacBook. And even, I think, for the, the typo blog for a while, they couldn't solve some particular Windows bugs because nobody had a Windows machine on hand to try it out. So, And yet we've got, I think... Uh, a couple weeks ago, Tom Copeland of RubyForge said they've got 100,000 downloads of the Ruby win- installer for Windows every month. And you see, at least for my blog, I've got like 60 or 70% of the people who visit are on Windows. So, hmm. you know, obviously not, well, I guess you just bought a Mac, but that's right. not everybody's going <laughs> to run out and buy a Mac just so they can write Rails. Do you think that's a problem? Should the Rails core team and the Ruby core team pay more attention to that? Or is that going to stop people from adopting Rails? Well, actually, like you mentioned, I, I am a proud owner of a new uh, MacBook Pro, um, and it's, it's a pretty pretty cool experience uh, to be kind of hanging with the cool kids now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, getting started with Rails on Windows was a really pretty painless experience. It was, you know... So it worked pretty well. Yeah, basically okay. uh, the, the one-click installer, gem install Rails, and uh, uh, a little MySQL. And uh, pretty much up and running. So, as far as it being a problem for uh, with the core team being on Macs, no, I, I don't think so. It, it's it's really a matter of um, you know what whatever platform you feel most comfortable with. 
We, we do get questions about how do I deploy Rails on IS or okay. on NT or 2000. And uh, no doubt it's much more difficult to try to get that going on a Windows server than it is on Linux. So the deployment is, is a little harder. Right. So for production deployment, it's not clear currently really what the best way is to do that. But I don't think that it's the job of the core team to worry about that, honestly. If we're getting 100,000 downloads of uh, you know, a month, then there must be a, a Windows community doing Rails out there. Yes. And one of the things I've liked about the Rails culture, as opposed to the, the Microsoft one that I'm also in, is the strength of the community that's there. We're not looking for one single provider of uh, all the solutions. So it's really a challenge to us in the Windows community to come up with really cool solutions on how to deploy Rails on Windows servers. Now, one of those things, especially, I know, Capistrano, people like to use that for deployment, and yet they've said, oh, well, if you're going to go to a Windows server, don't use Capistrano. So do you think something entirely new needs to be for people who want to deploy an IAS, or can Capistrano be added to or modified to work? Um, Nobody's at we, <laughs> we, we don't really know at this point. Okay. Um, you know, actually... Every application that we've deployed in a production environment has been on Linux. So, you know, we, we've actually not deployed on Windows. We obviously have developed um, everything we've, we've put together so far on, on Windows. But um, as far as deployment is concerned, we, we're really not sure at this point. I, I know that uh, a couple weeks back there was, uh, there was a couple articles on the uh, Rails uh, blog about, um, you know, using IIS to proxy through to to Lighty or, or to Mongrel. And, um, you know, th there, there are some cool solutions there, but actually I haven't had a chance to play with them too much. So up until now, you haven't, well, if you just got a MacBook Pro recently, but you've been using Windows, what kind of tools are there for Windows? What kind of things did you like to use or do you still use for writing Rails applications on Windows? Uh, we've tried pretty much everything. Every so, so when we when we uh, first discovered Rails, we were kind of hearing all the uh, the Mac and the and the TextMate uh, you know love out there, and uh, you know we really don't really don't have an equivalent. Um, so it was kind of go the just pure text editor route or go the kind of Ruby IDE route. So we've pretty much run the gamut of products here. We've you know starting with uh, the official uh, editor for Windows Notepad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've gone to, to Skype and Ultra Edit and, mm -hmm. of course, RadRails, Komodo, yeah. uh, Arachno Ruby. Wow. Pretty, pretty much tried everything we could to try to get that, you know, sort of TextMate type experience. And um, not, you know, there's really not a product out there for Windows that does exactly the same thing. But, you know, certainly RadRails has improved quite a bit over the, the last few months. Mm -hmm. I think Kyle and his okay. team are doing a really, really great job with, uh, with RadRails. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'll let Jeff talk about uh, another project that he's working on. Yeah, I was happy to be asked uh, by Michael Lung to be in the core team for an IDE called RideMe, which is just a Windows-based IDE intended to be really light but very fast and easy for... Uh, editing your Rails projects. All right. And, so it's targeted at uh, Rails, but maybe it's going to be flexible for other things too? Well, it'll, no, I just I think targeted at Rails, but 
is in a look and feel that's really familiar for the Microsoft developer. Okay. You know, there is uh, several projects going on currently. There's a, a project called Sapphire, which is going to be a plug-in for Visual Studio. I've heard about that. Uh, they're developing, I believe, a couple of different editions. Only one will be free, and it will, re I believe, require uh, Visual Studio. So if you have Visual Studio, that would be one choice. But Ride.me is uh, just a completely standalone, free, uh, open-source application that uh, looks really promising. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can really take it to the next level. We, we get the question a lot, what, where's the IDE for Rails? Because coming from yeah. the Microsoft side, we re reactively want an IDE for something. Yeah. Uh, we want IntelliSense, uh, whether it's good for us or not. Uh -huh. and, and there just hasn't been one uh, that Brian and I have really liked a lot. And so we're hoping that over time, there's going to be some, some really strong candidates in that area. Well, you've, t you've talked about a lot of different topics on your blog, and I find that useful all the way from just things that you're discovering to philosophical issues and one of those has just been you know microsoft's perspective on agile development and mm. even test-driven development and things like that mm. and yet talking to some other people of course i'm from seattle so i know a lot of people who work or did work at microsoft and and they think well maybe microsoft is a little scared of the idea of this yet another open source mm. project having a huge community behind it mm. do you think Rails has affected Microsoft at all in the kind of software they're working on or, or the way things they're going to offer for web developers? Or is that just a completely different market that, that there's not even any competition or not an issue? I think there's, you know, it's certainly like any large organization where there are little pockets of folks that feel differently about that. And uh, just, you know, within the folks that we know at Microsoft, uh, you pretty much got three groups. You've got the uh, I'm worried, uh, there's the I don't care, <laughs> and there's the I'm what's Ruby on Rails. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there's uh, there's definitely the, the distinct clicks there. Um, you know, I, I have traded some emails with uh, with folks at Microsoft about Rails, and it, it's funny because they, they ask me what the impression is of Rails and Microsoft outside of Microsoft. Oh. Uh, so it's kind of a little bit per different perspective on that, and you know, I try to lend them, lend them as much advice as I as I possibly can, but um, no, I, I think that if Microsoft isn't worried about Rails, that they probably should be. Okay. Because uh, you know, we're you know, Jeff and I personally have well over decades' experience with Microsoft technologies, mm -hmm. and myself with with uh, Microsoft web development technologies, and you know, we were pretty quick to uh, to jump on Rails just because of you know some of the things that we've talked about. Um, Productivity and and uh, the Ruby language and you know some of the more uh, you know dynamic uh, aspects of Ruby and other things that we enjoy. Now I'm going to pop a question on here. I didn't tell you about this beforehand, but uh, last time I asked Josh Susser, "Hey, what are some things you've learned recently while programming Rails?" and and a few people wrote back and said, "Oh, that was really useful. You should ask everybody that." So I'm going to ask you that. What kind of things in in the last couple week or, or month have you been have you learned newly about Rails that you thought was interesting or or noteworthy? Well, for me, I started to learn a lot more about functional tests. Functional tests. Yeah, I'd started out with. Uh, just the unit tests, uh, feeling that the controller code should be pretty simple anyway. And I didn't immediately see why I would need to really test my controllers that much. But uh, the more development I do, the more I see how 
how convenient it is to have uh, just a suite of good functional tests as well as unit tests. Yeah, um, you know, I would agree with that too. Is you know, we we, we obviously we do believe in test driven development. Um, we do it at our day jobs with with tools like NUnit, but the fact that Rails has that baked right in is is just great for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's not I, you know a lot of people have said this, but it's it's true. Um, it, it's not that Rails. Uh, encourages you to do test-driven development. It's that it makes it difficult for you to not do uh, test-driven development. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think the other thing I would add is um, the, you know, as far as something that I've learned about Rails recently, um, you know, is a lot of the one-one stuff. You know, being kind of a, a UI hack. Um, <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying uh, RJS and that's yeah, I really RJS. really digging into because I you know I'm. I'm Definitely not a JavaScript developer, but I do appreciate uh, you know the really cool user interfaces. So being able to script JavaScript directly from Ruby—that's that's super cool. One thing that somebody mentioned recently about functional testing, and, and maybe you've run into this, is in a larger company you've got the development, and you've got the the product project management and and marketing, and you've got a whole department for testing and, and QA, but with the test-driven development kind of idea, it kind of turns down on its head and you can't really just write it and then hand it off to somebody to, to write tests afterwards. Have you encountered that in your minds at all? What's that going to mean? Let's say a, a larger company did adopt test-driven development. How would that happen? Would the QA department just disappear? I mean, definitely we still need the, the front-end testing, but how would that even be organized if people a big company was going to do test driven development well you know it, it just from our our sort of day job experience you know the QA department at at our company is is really a bridge between the business folks and uh, the the programmers not so much um, people that necessarily do white box testing or are responsible for you know the sort of technical QA that has really been kind of gobbled up by test-driven development. Okay, so that's already happened. It's kind of the, the role of QA is really, you know, make sure that the application works to the needs of the business and not so much to the technical specifications. Okay. Well, maybe you're in a forward-looking company then that's already thought about some of those issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think also it can just start happening naturally because if the developers begin to drive their development by first writing tests... Often their first question is, before they can start to back to their manager is, what is this thing supposed to do? And it sort of brings the issue early on in the process of what am I supposed to build? Often I think developers will think they know what to build and so start down a path. Tell QA, okay, I'm done. And QA comes back and says, no, this is really not done. And you sort of discover requirements late later on. So I think, like Brian's saying, it has shifted where we do that in the process, but it's still being done somewhere. Well, you're working on a couple different projects on the side recently. Scout, it was it was your new product for tablet PCs working together with Basecamp. You released that, what, just a couple of weeks ago? Yep. How's mm-hmm. that gone so far? Have you gotten beta testers, or is it still in the beta stage? Oh, uh, well, no, we uh, we pretty much... Re- full, it's out. Yeah, we released it to the wild. Um, you know, we're doing the no beta thing. That's good. We're doing the, you know, go ahead and, and rip it apart. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's actually just a fun project for us that, uh, you know, we, we 
we work on tablet PC development during the day. Okay. So it seemed natural for us to, you know, the Basecamp API is just sitting out there, and um, and we use Basecamp for managing projects, both you know, in, in our day jobs and our our uh, side projects. So it just seemed like a natural fit for us to try to build something that put it all together. I think that's exciting to see something like that happen. And one thing that I've often wanted, maybe a lot of other people too, is something that's very interactive with websites and APIs, but can also be used offline and then would synchronize data afterwards. How feasible is that kind of thing? Or is that in your feature set that you're planning for? Yeah, you know, actually, uh, we we see a, a, actually a pretty decent feature out there for for Rails used for not traditional web apps. Okay. And I really think that, uh, and you know, right now we work on Windows client, client applications. So we really see the the fact that, you know, we look at the application that we build, which is, you know, we've got a tablet PC app and also a uh, touchscreen kiosk style app. Okay. And now that we are, are Rails developers, we're, we're looking at this product going, boy, this would have been really nice to put together in Rails. Mm-hmm. And not to say that Rails is going to completely uh, take over the the desktop client app, but there are certainly situations where you know you have control over your deployment uh, scheme, um, like a kiosk or point of sale type of device, where um, where a, a Rails application standalone really makes sense. And do you think so? And then .NET would be a good front end for that, or maybe it depends on your deployment in general. Yeah, I think it would depend because uh, you know you certainly. You know, with a .NET front end, you're certainly going to get a little bit richer uh, UI experience. But I, I think that's changing also with uh, with the uh, AJAX um, type technologies that are out there today. And uh, you know, you certainly still have to use .NET for a lot of things like peripheral integration and things that are more down at the OS uh, layer. But uh, you know, certainly um, a good mixture there would would be. Uh, be a good solution. You know, in touchscreen sort of kiosk applications where the general public is going to be using something, what interface do they know the most? And often it's a it's a browser-like interface. It's what they use at home. Yeah. And uh, one really good framework for creating browser-like interfaces is Rails. So it, I think it's, it will be really interesting to explore uh, ways in which Rails applications can be sort of productized when you do have control over that deployment box. If, you have, if you're putting a kiosk out and you have complete control over it, if you can simplify the development itself by using Rails, I think there's some really uh, interesting gains to be benefited from that. So your new, your new company's called Lucky Monk. What kind of plans do you have for that? Obviously, Scout, you're already released your first product, which is much more than we could say for a lot of startups. What else do you have planned? Uh, well, we certainly do have a couple of uh, a pure uh, web applications up our sleeve. Um, I've got the uh, the uh, the Beer 2.0 site up and running. Wow. Um, and I, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but it's Coaster. Uh, Coaster. Coaster without the E, you know, in traditional... Oh, yeah, I did look at that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in traditional Web 2.0 naming style. Right. Must uh, drop the, the E. It must drop the, all yeah. vowels. Uh, right. All the vowels. <laughs> Coaster. Right. So uh, you know we've we've got uh, we've got that and we've got a couple other ideas up our sleeve and you know really it's about you know we're at a point in our careers where a complete departure from the day job doesn't make sense at this point but uh, you know we certainly are looking to 
work on Rails a, a lot more because it's uh, it's uh, you know it's co it's compelling for us because it's you know it's really what we want to do and uh, hopefully we can open up some opportunities for ourselves with uh, some of the things we're doing. You know, one of the things we've just talked about recently is we're going to try to gauge the interest of doing some Rails training that is specific for people trying to come from a Microsoft background. Okay. Coming from like a C-sharp or VB.net background. And they've heard about Rails and they've heard about Ruby, but it can be a big chasm to try to cross going to this sort of, uh, you know, what is subversion all about? I've never heard of that. What is this, you know, I... I hear about DreamHost, but it's Linux. I don't get it. Uh, there's a lot that can be done just to help uh, people like us try to make that step from one one frame of thinking to the other. So we're, we're kind of want to gauge some interest this summer and and uh, see what's out there. So. Well, like we said, I know Brian already got a MacBook, but Jeff, I hope you stay on Windows. Absolutely, we definitely <laughs> need uh, people making. Rails and the IDEs easy yep. on that platform too because a lot of people are using it and probably a lot more people as Rails becomes more popular yeah, over the next year or so. Absolutely. So being in Chicago, of course, this is where 37 Signals is at. Do you uh, hang out with those guys or do they show up at the red carpet for movie premieres and uh, <laughs> drive around in limos? Or do you ever have a sighting of... Jason Fried or David Hinmar Hansen? Uh, no, not. it's a big city. <laughs> it, it is a big city. Uh, you don't see them at hip nightclubs or anything? No, no, we haven't. Uh, we we definitely probably don't hang out at the same places. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're uh, we're suburbanites. Yeah, uh, we probably drive different cars. Not yet. Not not quite as hip. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we we did. You know, I have traded. Well, I'm still on Windows for God's sake. So. <laughs> right, oh, exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, you know traded a couple emails, but uh, no, never never run into them at the uh, swanky clubs. Um, we have uh, had a chance to see Marcel at the uh, okay at the Chicago area Ruby Users Club. Neither of you have the Hanmeyer Hansen haircut. No, no, oh, tr trying to trying to cut back on that. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming out here. It's been interesting. And you guys are going to be at, at uh, the RailsCon for a little bit as well? We will. We're really looking yep. forward to it. Awesome. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast. Transcripts courtesy of imapenguin.com. Closing music by Wide Lucky Stiff. Audio equipment by Samson Audio. Chunky Bacon. Chunky Bacon. Chunky Bacon.